0: Thank you for listening to Christ Church Showmans. This is Jared Sparks, one of the pastors at Christ Church Carbondale. We want to thank you so much for listening, as Ransom said, my son. And we ultimately hope that these are God-honoring. And because they are God-honoring, we hope that they are also edifying and encouraging and challenging to you in the best sort of way. Thanks so much for listening. So. Alright, let's pray. Philippians chapter 4, one, verse 1 through 7. Sermon title this morning is Stand, Agree, Rejoice, Be Reasonable, and Pray. Bunch of commands. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are going to talk about coming to you and instead of being anxious, bringing our anxiousness to you and praying to you through prayer and supplication. And we want to do that. We want to come to you and just plead with you. We are a people of prayer. That's what we do. We come here to admit that we don't have it all figured out, we don't have it all together, but we know the one who does. And so we want to come to you and we want to pray. We don't want to be anxious, we don't want to be fearful. We want to trust that you're at hand, you're in charge, and we want to come to you as children to a father, knowing that you have our our best interests in mind, according to your wisdom. And Lord, we thank you that you don't operate based on our wisdom, that we are to operate based on your wisdom. And so lead us today. I trust that you're going to help me to be faithful to your word. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. In Philippians, the book of Philippians, we get great truths. We get mountain peaks. There's no valleys, but we get into some places. That are different. The passages in the epistles typically go through a pattern. Up front, you hear about what God has done, all that God has done, you hear about His grace, and then that theme of grace is woven together through the rest of the book. And each one of the epistles has this. You have a bunch of grace on the front end, and then woven throughout the rest of the book as you get instruction about how to live your life that instruction is always connected to never disconnected from the grace of God what God has done but once we understand what God has done the apostle and none of the apostles have any problem whatsoever saying with saying to us and to the early churches hey now live like this here's how you should live if the grace of God has collided with you in your life here's what it should look like it should be demonstrated in your life as you live from day to day in your home and in the world in fact the law of God we've been learning I've been learning a lot about the goodness of the law of God throughout the Old Testament and the New. And in Psalm 19, that was our reading this morning, we get these uh, these really great verses about the goodness of the law of God. Let me just read a few again for us before we get going. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, Enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much more than fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings from the honeycomb. The law of God, the commandments of God, the precepts of the Lord are good and right. They are not for our salvation. We know that. At the end, I'm going to do what I always try to do is bring Christians and non Christians into the discussion in different points. If you're a non-Christian today, I pray that these commandments just bash into you and make you shake it, shake to the core. I pray that you would see the law of God and that you would run to Jesus. And for all the other believers in here who have been changed and transformed by the power of the gospel, we hear the commands that we get to and we say, Yes, those precepts, those are good. That, those commands, those are right. That's sweeter than honeycomb. That's that's better than pure gold. If somebody offered me gold or these commandments, I would take these commandments because these commandments are good. And What God tells me to do, I want to do it. He's right and he's true. The commandments of God are really, really good. They're to be desired. God, what do you want me to do? Please direct my steps. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. In keeping them, there is great reward. Obedience to God brings reward, not because we've earned anything from Him, but because the ways of the Lord, the ways of the Lord are right, true, and good, and the ways of the world are wrong and evil. Sin always brings despair. Obeying God is always good, not just for you, but for others. And today, God, through Paul, is going to give us commands that are sweeter than honey. Precepts that are good. Righteous altogether. We should walk away saying, God, thank you. Thank you that you have directed my steps today. Thank you that you've given me something that I needed, that you have given me guardrails, that you have protected me today because I don't want to walk in error. I don't want to destroy people by my behavior. I want to obey you. Thank you for showing us and telling us how to live. Look at verse, chapter four, verse one. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. As stated, the sermon title is Stand, Agree, Rejoice, Be Reasonable, and Pray. Now, last week, Brandon did such a great job, and he led us up to where the passage led us, which is the resurrection of the Christian. If you look at verse 10 Excuse me, at verse 20 in chapter 3. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. There's going to be a day as Jesus resurrected and people were able to put their hand in their side. They were able to watch him eat food. We will also receive a resurrected body one day when Christ returns. And if we know that, it changes the way we face this life today. In light of the resurrection, we ended with last week, in light of that, the Apostle takes us to courage or conviction. He tells us to stand. Therefore, my brothers whom I long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Stand firm. Friends, it is good for us, the commands, it's sweeter than honey, stand firm in the Lord. That's good for us. Stand firm. There are consequences when we cower back. There are consequences for the believer when we are ashamed or afraid or embarrassed about what God has to say. And this new year, I think, provides us a great opportunity. We all need wisdom this year. We really do need wisdom on what to speak against and what to speak for and then when to stay silent. But here's what we know for sure this year. We know for sure. We will never cower, ever cower out of embarrassment at the word of God. We need wisdom about when to speak and what to speak to. We need wisdom about when to be silent. That we can stand firm knowing that we will not be ashamed about what God has to say. And if God has spoken to it, we're going to stand firm. Here's what I know for sure. If we cower, there are consequences. Because God's ways are right and man's ways are wrong. And if you're afraid of men, you will not be afraid of God And you will cower when the time comes for you to stand firm. But the apostle is saying if you know about the resurrection to come, that your eternity is secure, and you know you have promises ahead of you, that you have an eternal inheritance that's both now and to come, then you can stand firm. What is there to be afraid about? What can anyone do to harm those who are immortal? You are immortal. You're going to have a resurrected body that will not grow old and will not weary. What can anybody do to you when you have promises like that? What can the enemy come and accuse you of? Your body can waste away, but you know my eternal body is secure. What can the world do to me? My promise, my promises of eternity are there for me. What is there to be afraid of when your eternity is secure and the God of the universe has your back? Uh. John Knox, I was reading when we were sitting in the hospital, and, and maybe Providence is about to come, and we didn't know yet if there's going to be a C-section or not, we were trying to get all this worked out, and it was just, a, it was quite the ordeal, we were there from like a Tuesday to a Saturday, and God was incredibly faithful through the whole process, um, it, Jordan was, uh, I've been using the word radiant, I don't know why, she was just radiant the whole time, uh, it was great, we got to meet Providence, we were there, I got a lot of reading time, because it was like every two hours, Jordan would get drugs, and then she would get drugs, and then go back to sleep for two hours, and so it's like, literally on my phone like all day long. It's either phone and read. So I'm like reading and then, you know, checking Twitter and then reading. I was on my phone like five hours a day that week because I was just like looking at my phone and reading. But I read a whole book uh, about John Knox. It was a fantastic book. And here's what John Knox said in his dying prayer. Listen to this. And the implications go beyond just pastors because he's, he's going to speak to pastors in Scotland. But the implications from this prayer are here for us, here today. Like every, every member here, every believer, there's implications here for you. Here's what he said in his prayer. Lord, grant us faithful pastors, men who will preach and teach, in season and out of season. Lord, give us men who would gladly preach their next sermon, even if it meant going to the stake for it. Lord, give us men who will hate all falsehood and lies, whether in the church or out of it. Lord, grant your struggling church men who will fear you above all. And that's, we just don't need more and more pastors. We do need more and more pastors like that. But we need more and more church members. Members, local, you, like people flesh and bone right here who open God's word and they don't question it. They look at the world and question it. And they think, that's all wrong. Like, that's all wrong. I want to tell people a better way. Listen, come to Christ, repent of your sins, trust in him, see what Christ has done for you. There's so much, there's a better way to live, there's a better way to exist. You don't have to live like this world. Repent and come to Jesus. Yes, we need men of courage who will say, come what may, whatever comes, I will stand. I'll preach no matter what anyone says. But we need every member, every Christian that's like that. It was a prayer for pastors, but... It's for us. Stand firm in the Lord, beloved. When you know your promises, that you have promises forever, when you have eternal reward, it gives you courage to stand now. And as it gave the church in Philippi courage to stand, that truth gives us uh, us courage to stand now. Beloved, this is good for you and it's better than gold. The precepts of the Lord are so good. Stand. Stand firm. Agree. Look at verse 2. Agree. I entreat Judea I, I entreat, I entreat, Yudia, and I wrote her name down like phonically so I wouldn't forget it. And then I wrote it in my handwritten notes and didn't write it in my in my uh, notes here. Let's see, did I? Did I? Yeah, syntike. Yeah, Yudia and syntike. So I entreat Yudia and I entreat syntike to agree in the Lord. Agree, agreement. Now, there's a type of agreement that's really gross and slimy because it's not agreement at all. It's just agreeing to disagree. Is the kind of agreement that the world calls toler- being tolerant, just tolerate each other. There's no real truth. You don't, you don't rally around the truth. That is not biblical agreement. And that's not what Paul is calling Judea and Syntyche to. These ladies were ladies who had done much good with the Apostle Paul and with Clement. We see that here in just a second. In fact, you can look down. I ask you, my true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. These ladies worked side-by-side side with the Apostle Paul and Pastor Clement. Now, pastors didn't run around back then like a holier-than-now attitude. They were with church members doing ministry side-by-side, side, and these ladies, Eudia uh, and Syntyche, did faithful ministry. They, they were loving their families, loving the neighbors, loving the world around them, telling people about Jesus. And at some point, they began to have contention. They uh, had some sort of issues. We don't know exactly what those issues are. But we do see they had done some faithful faithful ministry. They, they must have had some shared stories. If they did work alongside of Paul and Clement, they would have had memories together. They would have had a deep friendship. You know, one of the things that marks true friendships is, is experiencing crazy and good things together. You know, if you've gone through life and have experienced something incredibly difficult and you've cried tears with people that has a way of bringing you together like there's a bond for a lifetime if you've done some amazing things with somebody and it got to experience some really beautiful and wonderful things together it bonds you together that that friendships come together through amazing experiences and i can imagine judia and Syntyche, along with the apostle paul and clement and everybody else in local churches doing ministry together and seeing God work, I can imagine them being able to sit around a fire and just say, do you remember, do you remember when, that was crazy, do you remember that weirdo came into the church service and was like screaming at us, he was like demon possessed, and it was like a weird, weird experience, or do you remember that week, that, what whose kid was that that got saved, like, man, that was amazing, like, remember those stories, and they would like these high watermarks they would be able to tell each other and, and just go back and forth remembering all that God had done but at some point they had such a, a sharp disagreement that Epaphroditus decided that he needed to report this disagreement to the apostle Paul and Paul saw it, such an, saw it such an issue that he had to write back in this letter to tell these ladies to get along we have no, no idea what the disagreement was we don't know who Paul's yoke fellow was We don't know if that was him commenting to the church or a specific leader in the church. But we know this disagreement was so sharp that they were going to need help in resolving this issue. Uh, If there's public disagreement amongst us, uh, it requires us, I think, passages like this to work towards an agreement. Um, It's like Paul saying, hey, ladies, this is being incredibly disruptive. Stop disagreeing with each other and just agree. Agree around the truth. And this yoke fellow is going to come alongside and help you with this. And friends, I think this is so crucial in the Christian church today. Um, we don't know how to debate anymore. We know how to argue. We know how to caricature each other and attack each other. We know how to build strong men and then attack or burn down the strong man. The straw man, not the strong man, the straw man. We know how to make straw man arguments. But we don't know how to debate anymore and unify around the truth. And I think it's helpful in a congregation to have friends who, when there's a disagreement, they say, you know what? Okay, we're going to study this out. And we're going to open the word. And we're going to study together. And we're going to pray through this. And we'll even get some people within the church, like Udia and Syntyche had to do. And we're going to help. We're going to get some agreement around this. And we're not going to fight around. We're not going to make it public anymore. We're not going to publicly accuse each other anymore, we're going to agree in the Lord. And we're going to do whatever it takes to agree in the Lord. Um, friends, this is sweeter than honey. You know what I'm so thankful here? I was talking to somebody recently, I think it was uh, Dennis said, he said, you know, you guys don't have any, we don't have any, uh, I don't remember the exact word he used, but I'll just say butts. We don't have any like jerks or mean, mean people in the church. We don't have any people that just cause problems for causing problems sake. And how many brothers and sisters in the Lord, or maybe they aren't brothers and sisters in the Lord, how many times as you look back over your, your church experience in your life, and how many times can you look back and think, like, there's just troublemakers. You just look back in your church life, and you, look, and you see all over the place, and names kind of pop. They're just making trouble for trouble's sake. There's just they're troublemakers. And what Paul would say to them is, hey, quit it. Agree in the Lord. Stop doing this. And this is exactly what he's doing to these two ladies. Stop disagreeing, agree in the Lord. And I'm so thankful in the church here that we have a lot of agreement. We have a lot of people who love each other and they're not gonna slander each other, they're committed to that. And if there was imagine if there was like a a troublemaker for troublemaking sake here, we would all like be like, dude, what are you doing? You know, like weirdo, you know, stop, agree in the Lord, you know, just gather around the Bible, we don't have to be weird, come on. It's far better. Agreement is far better. So if there is ever public disagreement among us, let us agree to work it out in the Lord to agree together like Judea and Syntyche did. Agree. And then verse 4, we're told to rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Look at verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Hey, church at Philippi, be happy in the Lord. Be happy in the Lord. Now, I'm going to say it again in case you didn't hear me in the back, church at Philippi. Rejoice in the Lord. Be happy. Let me say it again. Rejoice in the Lord. Be happy, church at Philippi. Always, always be happy. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice all the time. Now, I love this. It's a very important point. And I think you see this through the whole New Testament. The Christian life is meant to be a life of joy with times or seasons of lament. The Christian life is not meant to be a life of lament with times and seasons of joy. I think this is really important, I want us to see this because I want us to rejoice in the Lord and I want us to have a life that's a life of rejoicing, always, all the time. I'm not talking about a life of fakeness, but sometimes acting happy is better than being sappy, even if somebody says you're being fake. Rejoice in the Lord always. The Christian life is meant to be a life of joy with times and seasons of lament. The Christian life is not meant to be a life of lament with times and seasons of joy. Joy is a commandment to every believer. Rejoice in the Lord. Well, I'm sad. So, rejoice in the Lord. Well, I don't feel like it. So, rejoice in the Lord. Well, win Always. Well, what about tomorrow? Yeah, always. Rejoice in the Lord. What about when I'm weeping? Rejoice in the Lord. Have joy. Now, I have to say this because if this is not you, I want to remind you. Even though joy is commanded, you got to do this because once you start talking about anxiety here in a little bit, we'll start talk talking about anxiety or sadness. Uh, you know, the people who have experienced deep sadness or anxiety, their palms start to sweat a little bit because when you talk to somebody who deals with severe anxiety, they start getting anxiety. Oh, gosh, we're talking about anxiety. I'm anxious. Palms start to sweat. You're a little nervous. Oh, no. Those who talk about joy, when, if you have the propensity to be sad and joy is kind of like this very, you know, rare thing for you, Like, you know, the the heaping of condemnation can come. So I, I have to say this. I always have to say this when it comes to issues of the heart, when it comes to issues of emotion, that joy is commanded. But if that's not you, your standing in Christ is not based on your joy. You have to hear that. Sad Christians are just as much justified as happy Christians. Just as much. But even if your sadness is due to a broken brain and chemical imbalances, And there are few that that is the case. You must know, even if you're in that place of sadness, if you have to pick two, sadness or rejoicing in the Lord. Even if you're in that place of sadness, you know that the joy of the Lord is better than sadness in the Lord. You may want it, feel like it's out there, you can't ever get it. It's just, you feel like you're, it's like, like Ecclesiastes, it's like trying to catch the wind, you're just happiness, fulfillment, purpose. I just, I can't ever, it just feels like it always escapes me. But still, you know, rejoicing in the Lord is better than sorrow all the time. We all want to be happy. We really do. Every single person. Blaise Pascal has a great quote about that. That would have been really great right here in this moment. And I want you to consider if you're not in that small category of people, that have chemical imbalances or a broken brain. And that's that's a thing. It's a thing, and I don't want to minimize that. But maybe, just maybe, I want you to consider this. Maybe some of the sadness that people experience, that Christians experience, maybe some of that is self-induced. You got to consider that. Because sometimes when you're in the pit of despair The only thing that you can think about yourself is that you're a victim of what's happening to you. And it's easy when you're in a pit to keep digging rather than climbing. You get comfortable because you think, this is just how I am. I just am genetically predisposed to this kind of life. Negativity is how I've existed. My mama was negative, my dad was negative, my grandmama was negative, my grandpa was negative. They always saw life as the the cup is half empty, it's not half full. And you just stay where you're at because that's what you've always known, that's what you're comfortable with. And whether you admit it or not, you're just comfortable because you feel like that's you. Maybe some of your sadness is self-induced. And coming into this year, if you see that that's you and some of it is self-induced, then you've got to repent of that got to repent of that. You got to stop digging deeper. The command is rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say it, rejoice. You got to get rid of the shovel. You got to stop with the negativity and the critical spirit. You got to stop living the way you have been living because it's making you more bitter and more sorry and more sad all the time. Nobody has gotten more positive by being more negative. And I'm not talking about just self-help, kind of mumbo-jumbo, weird stuff. But these are things we should consider. Rejoice your way out of sorrow. Rejoice your way out of the pit. Throw away the shovel. Stop digging. And some Christians have found themselves, they really have, they found themselves in the gutter, and they just get comfortable there and they think, this is it. So you got to break the cycle. Uh, ne- negativity and sadness, uh, it produces negativity and sadness. It perpetuates it. And so you got to break that. Don't let yourself complain. You have to stop complaining. If you have a, a complaining critical spirit, that's sin. It's not just who you are. You can change who you are. And it's got to stop. It doesn't help anybody. The command that we get is rejoice. Um Complaining and rejoicing are diametrically opposed to each other. And if you can, by the grace of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, break the culture that you're in, and every time you think about your sadness, or everything you, every time you think about complaining about why the world is the way it is, and if you can stop and say, nope, I'm going to thank God for his goodness to me. I'm going to thank God for his mercy to me. I'm going to thank God for his faithfulness to me. And instead of complaining, I'm going to thank him for everything that he's given me. He is kind to me. He is merciful. God, thank you for your goodness. I'm going to rejoice my way out of this pit. Happiness, joy is a command for you. And I think Christians need to take that serious. We're a happy people. Let's be even happier in 2021. No matter what happens, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And I tell you what, joy is immensely reasonable uh, reasonable. Let's be reasonable. Look at verse five. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. There's a lot of pain and suffering in this world. And we've got to admit that there's a lot of difficult things in this world. There's a lot of suffering in this world. There's a lot of things that we can't understand. Uh, we can understand, however, that we can't understand why necessarily all things are the way they are. But boy, there's a lot of really great stuff in this world. And there's a lot of beauty. And there's a lot of food that tastes really good. And we've been blessed, really blessed. And I think it's responsible and reasonable to choose a joyful response to the world rather than a one of constant sorrow. Christian men and women are men and women who know how to reason. We know how to be reasonable. We know how to be reasonable to our church, to our family, and to the world. We should not be letting our emotions be known to everyone. We should not be wearing our emotions on our sleeve to everyone. We should be being reasonable to everyone. When people look to us, they should see, even if they disagree, that that's a reasonable bunch. That what they're presenting to us, what they're presenting to the world, isn't a bunch of nonsense. It's not a bunch of emotionally driven, emotionally charged, um, storytelling mumbo-jumbo. It's reasonably thought through and calculated. Let your reasonab- reasonableness be known to everyone. Ladies, newsflash. And if you're new with us, this is: we believe that men and women are really different, okay? And we don't believe it's good for women to act like men, and we don't believe it's good for men to act like women. Ladies, you are more emotional than men. It doesn't mean, for the caveat, doesn't mean that, that, that there's not a single man in the world that's more, you know, more or less emotional than a woman or that there isn't that women that aren't more emotional or less emotional than men. Okay, caveats. Big picture, ladies are more emotional than men. And we live in a very feminine culture in which story and emotional appeal are the apologetic of the day. We don't care about facts, data, reasonable responses to things. Give me a story, an emotional appeal. And that's very effeminate culture. Um, The world doesn't know the differences between a boy or a girl, really. The CDC doesn't know the differences. They, They literally put a pregnant person rather than a pregnant woman on their Instagram the scientific experts in America. They're not reasonable. But their story and emotional appeal, and they feel like they've got to fit the narrative to not offend people. That's not reasonable. That's the opposite of what the body of Christ is to be like. We are to be reasonable people. The world doesn't know the difference between up and down or real racism and fake racism. Harvard professor says that math is racist and that sometimes two plus two equals five. What? It's not reasonable. I mean, everybody in here is like, of course, that's not reasonable. It's not reasonable at all. It's crazy. We don't need to be like that. That's not reasonable. It's ridiculous. The world... It's nervous and scared to death of a virus with over a 99% survival rate. That's not reasonable. We are to be wise. Be wise. Always be wise. If you're sick, even when the flu season, be wise. If you're sick, don't go coughing on people and sneezing on people. Duh. If you're vulnerable, make wise decisions. But it's irrational what the world is doing right now. It's not reasonable. I don't care what anyone says. You will not convince me, and I want to give you freedom to think. Like, oh, this is crazy. What we're saying—it's not reasonable. Don't be like that. That's manipulation. Ladies, uh, you can be prone towards em- emotional manipulation. Don't do that. Be reasonable. Men, don't be womanly. Don't be effeminate. It's not good when a man, femininity is beautiful and great and wonderful, but not when it's a part of a man's life. That's effeminacy, And that's sinful. Be reasonable. You don't have to go crazy. You can be calm. You can think through and be reasonable before God and men. It's going to be okay. Don't be like the world. Be reasonable. Pray. Look at verse 5b through 6. Pray. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Oh, pray. We're a people of prayer. Prayer. We pray every day. We come together and we pray. We talk to God because we need to talk to him. We respond to him. He talks to us all the time. We open his word. We read him, and we hear his words all the time. Every day we should be hearing him speak. He's just speaking all the time. We just open and hear him. We're hearing him speak as uh, rejoice in the Lord always. That's the word of the Lord. He's speaking. We hear him. We need to respond in prayer. And I first want to thank my good old friend, John Gunther. Many of you remember John Gunther. John was, uh, he, he had to excommunicate John in 2018. He uh, walked out in his family, and the story was, was, it was very sad. It was just a sad situation. We had to go through Matthew 18. We had to excommunicate him. A year later, John repents. He was in a rehab facility, and he comes back, and we got to restore him fellowship, and it was amazing. I don't know if you're here for that, but I love my friend John, and several years ago, we were studying this passage together. We were doing some discipleship stuff, and we were memorizing some verses, and this verse, it, it always starts with, do not be anxious about anything, and it always starts with just, don't be anxious about anything, because that's where verse six starts, but John asked the question, well, why don't we start memorizing it before verse six, because the sentence doesn't start with, do not be anxious, and I thought, yeah, it starts with the Lord is at hand. It doesn't start with where the verse starts. And those verse numbers are arbitrary. I hope you know that. Those are put in there. Those are not in the canon. Like, those are not authoritative. The verse numbers can get wrong. And the, the natural breaks in your Bible, you know, when you have the headings, those aren't, those aren't authoritative. Some Bibles even break it up a little bit differently. And if you get those first five words there before the command, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, through prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to the Lord, if you get that first, it changes everything in the verse. It helps you understand why you're not to be anxious about anything. And so I want to thank my friend, John Gunther, because he pointed out that God truly is at hand. The Lord is at hand, meaning he is near, he is present, he is close, And he is never distant from us. The Lord is at hand. Then the therefore, or then the command, do not. God is at hand. This truth that the Lord is at hand provides the foundation for everything else in this verse. And it gives us the foundation to leave our anxieties and worry in the past. That anxiety, that nervousness, that worry, it gives us the foundation to leave it in the past, to call it sin, and to walk away from it. The Lord is at hand. I want you to believe that, that the Lord is at hand. John Calvin said this in his commentary on Philippians. Here we have the most beautiful sentiment from which we learn in the first place that ignorance of the providence of God is the cause of all impatience. And that the reason, and that this is the reason why we are so quickly on trivial trivial accounts thrown into confusion. Okay, this, this is... Amazing. And so fatherly here, if we get this, it's so, it's so caring from a pastor here. That this is the reason not knowing that the Lord is at hand, why so quickly on trivial accounts, we are thrown into confusion and often too become disheartened because we do not recognize the fact that the Lord cares for us and he is at hand. Now get this, this is the remedy for calming our minds. When we rest in his providential care, knowing we are not exposed to the rashness of chance or to the plans of the wicked or to the plans of the enemy, but are under the regulation of God's fatherly care. Oh, man, this is so good. The man that is in possession of that truth that God is present with him, has what he needs to rest with security. Uh, When I was a little boy, um, I used to be, I I used to, uh, I used to be afraid of certain things. I remember being afraid of dogs riding my bike. There'd always be dogs. I had my dyno chromed out. Didn't have pegs on it like Ryan Deaton did. Ryan Deaton was the guy that had pegs on the front and the back with like two guys, you know, like there, and he could ride all over town like that. Like, I I was terrified to do that. Didn't have pegs, but I did have that dyno. I saved up for it, 193 bucks, got that dyno. When I was riding the bike around town, like I owned the place, dogs would come up, and I tell you what, when a dog would come up, it would frighten me because that dog would scream, it would look right at me, And, and I would talk to my dad about that, and my dad said, hey son, here's what you do next time. You get off that bike, you look at that dog, and you walk straight toward it. Look at it right in the eye, and you walk straight toward it. And you know what, that fear broke. That fear broke. My, my father gave me some wisdom and direction, and I stood up to those dogs, and I would look at those dogs. If that dog had come to me, it didn't matter if it was a German shepherd or a little schnauzer or whatever. And look at that dog. You get up, and you walk right toward it, and that dog gets scared. He's scared. Like, oh, that guy's not scared of me. That kid's not scared of me. Walks right away. When you know your father has given you counsel, wisdom, and direction, when you know your father is present or near, fears desist. It changes the way you view the world. On that foundation that the Father, God the Father, is with us, that the Lord is near, that the Lord is at hand, we get the command, do not be anxious about anything. Look again, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to the Lord. Do not be anxious about anything. What does that mean? Here's what I think it means. I think it means don't be anxious about anything. <laughs> well, what about this or that or the bills next month or who's gonna get elected or who's in charge here or there? Or what, what's gonna happen in 2021? Are they gonna shut down grocery stores? Or what, what's going? What, what, nothing. Don't be anxious about anything, nothing. There's so much in the world from small to big that people are anxious about. I mean, the list can go on and on and on. We make excuses for anxiety. We make excuses for worry. We make excuses for fear. We try to justify it. But God says, stop it. Don't be anxious about anything. Nothing. Don't let any nook and cranny of your life be anxious or worried about anything. Forget that way of life. Don't worry. Don't be anxious about anything. God is at hand. Why would you be anxious? Recognize anxiety and its ugly friend worry as sin. And instead of anxiety, here's what's so great, we're given an action step. Instead of being anxious, do something else. So every time you're anxious about something, that anxiety runs up, starts up, your your hands and palms start to sweat. Well, here's what you do. Don't be anxious. Pray. Pray. Oh, my kids, but my kids are doing this or that, or my grandkids are doing this or that. No. Pray. Bring it to the Lord. Can you be anxious about it? Then it's a qualifying factor in being you can pray about it. Well, can I pray about anything? Well, yeah, if you can be anxious about it, pray about it. Instead of being anxious, pray. In everything, by prayer and supplication, which is earnest request, and with thanksgiving, remembering that he is at hand, we let our requests be made known to God. He is at hand. He is at hand. Now, chance and wicked men and the devil are not in charge. We just heard that. From that quote I read, God, our father is in charge. So don't be anxious. Another story. I remember when I was a kid, I would always dream about wolves. So you got a bike story. Now you get a wolf story. I always got to dream about wolves, that wolves would be fighting my dog, Ginger. And then they'd turn on me and fight me. And I would just wake up in terror that there's wolves in the house. And so I remember on the rare occasion I would run to my parents' room, and maybe once or twice a year they would let me lay at the be- foot of their bed or let me jump up in bed with them. And, and I, I, when they did, it was like the greatest thing in the world because the alternative was getting attacked, you know, like in my dreams by wolves. But as soon as I got in the bed with them or as soon as I laid at the foot of the, de- the bed, the fears just immediately went away instantly. Just gone. Just gone. My parents were there. And I'm telling you, Practically, so much of our fear and anxiety comes to a disbelief that the Lord is at hand. It comes from a root distrust that God is truly providentially caring over you. And some of that anxiety and fear that we have is self-induced. And what we need to do instead is say, God, I trust that you really are my heavenly father and you're in charge and nothing that comes my way. I have to face alone. It comes through your hand. You're with me and for me. I am not at the mercy of chance or the devil. I'm in my father's hand. Go back to that foundation. God, your father, is in charge, and he cares for you. You're not alone. Really, you're not alone. What about answered prayer? Because we're told that God does something here. After the command pray, we're told that God does something. Look at seven. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Peace of God. Uh, When God brings peace to a person in the midst of despair or discord or when nobody else has peace, often people will think that's fake. We talked about fakeness earlier. That's not real. They're they're a phony. They're just faking it till they make it. That's not real peace because they're not dealing with the real issues they're facing. They're not grieving to the depths that they need to grieve. They're not feeling what they need to actually feel to get through the pain. And eventually, they'll crash. That's a common sentiment even among Christians. Here's what Elizabeth Elliot said. In the book, A Path Through Suffering, after the death of my husband, Jim, I returned to the jungle station. My friends were sympathetic. They loved Jim, too. There was plenty of work for us to do, and I soon established new routines and was thankful for all the pressing duties that filled my days. After the men in uh, Ecuador killed her husband, Jim Elliott, her and four other ladies because they killed those four men, they moved into the village. Modern psychologists and most people in the world would say, that's the most unhealthy, crazy thing you could do. Nobody would counsel them to do that. Nobody. And yet they did. Bags of mail began to come in, bringing comfort and assurance of prayers of hundreds of people, most of whom I did not know. I wrote to assure my family and my friends I was all right, and my baby Valerie was well. She had just had a baby, by the way. And her husband was speared to death. God was faithful. They did not need to be in anguish over the thought that I was, quote, all by myself down there in the jungle, end quote. But my mother-in-law wrote of her fears that I was perhaps repressing my grief and might eventually crack. This upset me, of course, and I wondered if she was right. She was a chiropractor and a keen observer of human nature, a wise woman whom I wanted to learn. But was there really no such thing as peace peace? that passeth understanding? Was I only imagining that I had been given it? Could God fulfill his word or could he not? God brings peace that passes all understanding. Friends, if you will move from anxiety and pray and come to him and realize that he is at hand he will come alongside of you and give you peace that passes all understanding. When God brings this kind of peace, people scratch their head and they think it's weird. They think you're suppressing it or repressing it. Jordan and I have experienced this. We experienced terrible situations in a church where we were sinned against, not just me me and Jordan, bad experiences. And then right after that, we go to these church planning assessments. And these assessors, they came alongside and one of the assessors was really, really good. But then this other assessment group, they, they, they sat back and they could not believe that we were not bitter. They could not believe that we were actually well. And looking back on it, we were well. God preserved us from bitterness of heart. He preserved us from anger or frustration or from the need to take a long period of time off to get well and be restored and all of that kind of stuff. And the assessors just couldn't see it. They they didn't understand. Well, how, how? Because God gives peace that passes all understanding. That's how. We were really okay. We were really well. He guarded our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. God is at hand, beloved. Do not be anxious about anything. Pray to him about your worries. He will give grace and peace and will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's a promise. Amen. That's a promise. Stand, agree, rejoice, be reasonable, and pray. And God will do this. Non-Christian, I want to remind you again, as I did at the very front, these commands are promises to Christians. They're not promises to you. So if you're a non-believer coming in your midst, and if you have friends that you want to invite into this, and I always want to invite non-believers to come in, we will not do anything here specifically for them. We're going to tell them this is is about glorifying God together and encouraging the saints. And non-believers are allowed to come into that, invited into that, and they're going to either think it's weird, or they're going to love it and come to Jesus. Okay, but we're not gonna cater what we do to non-believers. But if you're a non-believer here, okay, if you're a non-believer here this morning, these commands and promises are to Christians, they're not for you. For these commands to you are to cut you down, not to give you life. They shouldn't feel sweet as honeycomb to you, they should make you feel guilty. And yet God tells you something to do with that guilt. Run to Jesus with it. Don't just wallow in guilt that you can't keep the commandments of God or that these promises are for somebody else, not for you. Come to Jesus and drink from the water, from the well that will never run dry. Come to him. He will satisfy your thirsts. He will forgive your sins. He loves you. Come to him. And for the non-Christian, 2021 20, can be the year of life for you. You can see how you've broken God's law, see how Christ fulfilled God's law on your behalf and died in your place. You, the lawbreaker, he, tur- he died so that you might live, turn to Christ and live. Now, beloved brothers and sisters, this is a majority of the room in here, young believers and old. 2021 can be a truly remarkable year. Truly remarkable. We can walk through this year living for God's glory by loving and obeying him. What in the world are we worried about anything for? The Lord is at hand. We're not going to be worried. We're not going to be a fearful people. We can have peace with God that passes all understanding in a world that seems to have gone mad. This year can be an awesome year. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy that's there for us right now. We thank you for your kindness. Your commands truly are sweet, sweet as honey, sweeter than honey. Your precepts, they're good. Your commands that we learned about today, they're good. God, help us to walk in those commandments. We want to honor you. Jesus, thank you that you fulfilled every one of those commandments perfectly in our place. We thank you for your grace and kindness. We want to follow in your footsteps. Father, I pray that this year you would bring people from the north, south, east, and west, that you would bring revival to the city. I pray that this year that people would finally look at what's going on in the world, throw their hands in the air, and say, this can't be it. This is crazy. This is nonsense. This is not reasonable. This is all wrong. And they would see the world imploding around them, and they would turn, and they would find Jesus. Jesus, I pray that you would save thousands upon thousands, ten thousands upon ten thousands, hundreds of thousands upon hundreds of thousands, and God, I pray that we would get to see some of it, just a little bit. Holy Spirit, work in the way you always do. You always work perfectly through imperfect preaching, and I trust that you will right now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.